Hi, it's me, Tom Papa from the Marriage Ref. You're listening to Anything Goes on XM Radio. It's hilarious. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for some laughs? Are you? Tonight we have a chance to say, yeah, you're right. We're too extreme, we're too wild, we're too out of control, we're too full of our own shit. Or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you, you're wrong. Fuck you, we're right. Still waiting for the bestiality videos to get their own category at the Adult Video Awards. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. How the fuck am I funny? Dave Martin. What have we got here? A fucking comedian. And Kathleen McGee. And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. Can you dig it? I'm just saying that you cannot blame me if you dare me to do something. If I dare you to do it, then just fucking do it. And okay. then we get into trouble, we get into trouble. That's right. the whole point of well, the show. Are you daring me to do this? I was daring you okay. to do your your John Travolta son impression, who's been passed okay, away a few all, months now. Right, it's yes. already hacked. But if that's how you want to start off a show called Anything Goes, then you fucking do okay, it. Okay, you know what? I don't think it's hacked yet because I haven't heard anyone else do it. Well, okay, what, you're my, fair. That's fair. But also I haven't heard Poor any... Poor taste hack. Okay, all right. But I haven't heard anyone, any audience laugh at the bit where I do... Because it's not funny, Dave. It's just... Well, His I've, son is dead. I think it's funny. It's not funny. And it's not funny because his son is dead. It's funny because this is how John Travolta would find his missing son at a shopping mall. Okay, He'd do be it. Like, hey, have you seen my son, Jet? He looks like a retarded me. That's. I think that's okay. All that for that. Are you proud no, of yourself? Do I'm the intro, proud of, Dave. Okay. All right. Here we go again. It's anything goes with Darren Frost, and this is a no holds barred talk show. We talk about events in the news, pop culture, and the state of Canadian stand up comedy. We have two awesome guests today, even though we are minus one host. And I'm going to throw it over right now to Darren Frost. Hey, everybody. It's there he is. Well, this Woman, might be there he is. The, might be the last week that Dave Martin is on the show with that kind of intro. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for that. Get the letters well, you, ready. You asked me to do it. So. All of a sudden, we're going to get letters sent to us written out on fucking cardboard pieces of paper with. You know, letters from cereal boxes taped to it, and you know we're gonna get you, retard hater. You know, oh. I hope you're happy about that. Well, this is the guy that that started every promo for the show with, "Hey, fucktards." Yeah, that's right, because uh, fucktards is funny. <laughs> fucktards is funny, making fun of what a dead is, what fucktard, is, what not is, funny. What is a yeah. dead fucktard, not funny? <laughs> We're going to get in so much trouble for this. We're not, we're not even going to get on the air. Dead fucktards aren't any funnier than okay, real we ones. Okay, stop, Dave. No, Dave, we don't. Okay. Dave, stop. Let's talk we about it. We don't have we... Kathleen here to stop us. To buffer it, to That's make right. it That's nice right. I know again. it's an all-dude show, and we're all excited. There's no snatch in this room. We're just going to be all dude-ish. I we're understand not talking, that. But we're not talking about misogynistic subjects. No, like, no. I did give a strip club a second chance this weekend, which right. I had not done, which I wish I hadn't done. But, right. Uh, um, but it's a it's a nasty nasty place at the corner of Queen and Broadview. It's, oh, it's Jilly's, yeah, Jilly's, where they have these uh, pictures of girls on the outside of the club that and... haven't stripped there in thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think or they ever still did. Are thirty years later. Yeah, but the it's like the the pictures on the outside should be like the before pictures, and on the inside those are the after pictures of the I before think and the after. In, the inside of a stripper snatch should be tagged and numbered 
So that way, if you go back 10 years later, you can see the tag. It's got a date on it. You know how long she's been there. Oh, I thought when we release them back out into the wild, <laughs> then we can track them. That's so right. if they ever get lost. That's right. That's a new like. reality show, Tracking Strippers. I would watch that. I, I fucking jerk to that. I think I've always... Oh, I've get al- Man Tracker involved. That's <laughs> how you do it. Man Tracker involved. Two strippers go out. They you give them a makeup it- bag and some fucking gel. And they get to give hand jobs to whoever they want to get their money to get onward before Man Tracker catches them. We're on something. Be, it would be Whore Tracker. Or tracker. We just we we hide some meth out in the woods, and they right. have to find it, and then he has to find the whores before they find the meth. That's right. And then he what does he? I don't know what he does once he finds them. Well, we we want to know what he does. That's <laughs> that's the part that's going to be good. Well, that's the pay per view part. But yeah. I always thought one of my always uh, things was that uh, that I just think that uh, instead of halfway houses, that we should just have. Um, but when we release criminals back into society, right. we should have them be on reality television. Right. And if you don't want to be on reality television, that you then you have to go back to jail. Right. Right. Because everyone, when we released Carla Hamolka back out into the mm-hmm. world, uh, everyone was like, oh, how are we going to keep track of her? Well, right. I was just like, we should put it on reality mm-hmm. TV. Who do you want to watch buy groceries? Fucking Gene Simmons or the, chick that, or the chick that murdered her sister? She buys more than four things in a row that can be used against someone in a fatal way. Then we know, ding, 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 she goes back to jail. Oh, like, holy shit, I eat the same kind of Pop-Tarts as Robert Picton, the guy that uh, right. chased around 60 right. uh, hookers with a yeah. chainsaw. Wait a second. What the Pop-Tarts, rope, gasoline? Uh, these are not things that go together. Or those are that's what I call Friday night. Uh, but both Darren and I and Kathleen uh, saw a, a movie this week. Yes. It's being a label. It was labeled the uh, the Hangover for Girls. Right. But did you find it like that, Darren? Uh, well, before I went in, I, I cut my cock off and I Bride- drove myself a snatch, and I enjoyed the movie quite a, quite a bit. Brides. I don't think I mentioned the movie. But yeah, it was Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? I thought I think it's a disservice to call it a chick flick because any time it's just got women in it and it talks about their feelings, it's not a chick flick. It's how it's done makes it to me a chick flick. If it's done with a sense of um, with credit to the characters, I don't consider it a chick flick. I thought that main character was excellent. It reminded me a lot of Jen Grant, you know, the female comic Jen Grant. No, I, like I don't want to. She remind me more of Lori Elliott. Okay, that's interesting. Anyways, uh, <laughs> back to the movie. Okay. I liked I liked it a lot. I really did. I felt the grosso part in the middle was a little too much, like the Hangover or that whole you know they always have to have that one come in the hair something about Mary thing. I get it, um, but I don't want to wreck it for anyone. But I also liked the ending where it had the little you know guest uh, performance by the band who I'm a, uh, was a fan of in the eighties. Oh, I thought you that was mean, quite good. Uh, Wilson Phillips? Yes, Wilson you Phillips. Wilson yeah. Phillips, yeah. Uh, one of the things I didn't like about the movie, uh, I liked it. I liked right. it a lot. Uh, I didn't have my period afterwards, but right. I, uh, um, I, the one thing that kind of bothered me about it was it was that uh, very obvious love interest with the cop that we were introduced way too early, right? And there was a little bit too much of that sentimental shit, and I right. kind of wanted them to go off to Vegas and and rip shit up uh, in Las Vegas. But then it'll be too much like the Hangover. I know, and, I, and, I, and that's I get, why it didn't I, happen. I get that point too. Um, but uh, I like the movie overall. I, I've always loved Kirsten Wake from uh, SNL. And uh, I thought I had a really strong female cast. And I thought it was kind of good. At no point did they ever make reference to their boyfriends, their husbands. Right. And when they were, they were only complaining about it. I've always had a bit of a hard-on for that uh, chick from Reno 911, mm-hmm. the, uh, the blondie. Uh, yeah. I forget her name. But uh, I thought a really strong female cast. And you even made mention of the fact that they sort of... Uh, I don't want to say you, they uglied her up. 
from Mike and Molly, which yeah. you earlier referred to as the fatty show. Well, when we what it is, I'm a fatty. Well, it's a I'm fatty just, show. It's say, two yeah. people that are overweight, and they really are using that and all the fucking promo for it. Hey, this is real America. I get it. But that is what that show is. Yeah, it's two main characters I, that are obese. Yeah. I still think that why can't that show just be about uh, the relationships between those two people and they just happen to be fat? Yes. It just seemed like if all the jokes are leaning on the, uh, on the whole fat guy crush. Right. Crutch, I meant. Uh, For crush, that's fine. Um, but if it's just, if it's all, if the if the sight gags all about, hey, look, fatty falls down, then a, I don't think a lot of fat people are going to watch. And, right. And b, it, it's just it's retreading. To be honest, I've only watched a few minutes of Mike and Molly, so it's 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 not really fair to say it's only that. But from all the promos I've seen and talk about it, right. it, it is kind of drumming up that whole idea that these are overweight people and they're people too. Of course they are. But, and you know what? That chick from April is on it from uh, Eastbound and Down. Yeah. She's yes. Fucking yeah. Sexy as hell. Yeah. I know. She make yeah. a train take a dirt road. But uh, no, she was uh, Melissa McCarthy, I believe her name is for Mike and Molly. They did kind of—I don't want to say ugly her up, but she a lot of not no makeup and kind of made her drab looking in her clothing and her hair. Right. But she was very funny, and she was obviously the Zach Galifianakis character, right. the out from you know left field. What the fuck is she going to do next? I get it. You know, it is a formula. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, it was formula, but it was a relief that it was a, a different. It wasn't such a cliche formula right. as we've seen before. So I like the fact that they didn't reference their, uh, you know, their their male. Uh, what's no? That? Yeah, you said that. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they, they didn't do any of that stuff, which I appreciate too. And I didn't mind the love interest. I know sometimes you have to have it, but at least it was, you know, it it was handled. Just enough. It, it might have been a little too much I for it was me. Way too. I was. It was getting shoved down our throats too much. Of just right. like it was like as soon as that guy showed up in the movie, I was like, okay, that's her love interest, and right. she's going to get together with him at the very end, yeah. and it's going to be real cheesy. You know what? Why? If that guy couldn't have shown up just like in the last twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and we could have had a whole movie without him, and I would have liked to have seen more of the Don Draper character. Which reminded me a little bit too much of myself at moments. So. Right. Uh, okay, well, this week we have a very packed show, so we got to go right to a commercial and come back from the break. We have two guests this week. We have uh, Stevie Ray Fromstein, who's from L.A. He's got a, a, a podcast called, uh, called The Holy Atheist. And also uh, writer and comedian Gavin Stevens is here because he's got a big nerd show in Toronto on June 11th with uh, Fraser Young and Niall Sagan. So please uh, come on back from the commercial, and we'll be talking to Stevie Ray Fromstein first. Uh, Darren's mad at me. <laughs> Maybe. We're, we're, we're yeah, off the air. Next time you're going to listen to our show, it's going to be like, dude, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. <laughs> That's a good reference. Get ready to try and shower the filth off. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. Hey, this is Victor Lucas from Electric Playground and Reviews on the Run. You're listening to Anything Goes on XM Radio. Wipe off your face. We're back. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. Dave Martin and Kathleen McGee. Okay, we're back from the break and joining us in the studio, our first guest this week, uh, actor, comedian, and uh, writer Stevie Ray Fromstein is here with us. Uh, if you do not know who he is through stand-up terms, you would have definitely seen his stuff on television as a writer in the past for Roseanne, Grace Under Fire, and most recently a new show coming out in Canada called Single White Spenny. Isn't that what it's called, Single White yeah, Spenny? Right. That's it. Um, from Spenny versus Kenny. Uh, thanks for coming. 
Thank you. Good to be here. Um, so we were talking before we even got into the booth, and I always find it funny whenever three comics get together, we're already right deep into it 30 seconds in. We were talking about Second City or SCTV. and well, talk about SCTV. Right, yeah. and, and how it, some things don't hold up over time when it comes to comedy. That's what Dave's point was. Well, I was saying, well, the one thing point I was making was that um, we were talking about, uh, what was the show we were saying about, like, just how something, how some, we were talking about you, you were in the, some early years, uh, like guys with uh, Al Al Ray and writing some sketch comedy. I just oh, right, said right. a lot of like stand up is fairly topical, and in sketch comedy, a lot of it can be just fairly timeless. Right. And I said, unlike some shows like you know Mad TV and SETV, where they were all parody shows and they were always parodying television, um, I just find that a lot of SETV for me personally, and I said a lot, I know a lot of. You know, comedy nerds might kind of want to crucify me for this, but a lot of SCTV stuff does not hold up for me anymore. Well, I think in general, comedy doesn't age well. You can look at some of the funniest people, the most legendary comics, the most legendary shows, and uh, and it's, you know, maybe you could admire Charlie Chaplin, but you don't laugh that much. Even Charlie, most of the time, if they were that influential, they've been, they've been mimicked and uh, duplicated so many times that you go back. I remember... When I was a kid, I saw this thing with a bunch of silent movies with my sister, and she said, "Well, that I just I've seen this on the Three Stooges." Right, yeah. right. You know, so it's because it's so influential. We've seen it a million times when we go back to look at it again. I think that's a lot of it. And even when it comes to stand up, a lot doesn't stand up over time. I've always found when it's something that's very personal to someone or it involves pain, it's timeless. Like when you talk about Richard Pryor or Carlin, a lot of it, the stuff that he's just, they're doing that's kind of fluffy and nice doesn't stand up over time. But whenever they're talking, especially Richard Pryor, about pain and the anguish of his relationships or him growing up, that's timeless. But when he's talking about sexual positions and things like I know it's timeless, but it, sometimes it can come across old I don't, in I, his I, presentation. I still think Class Clown and Occupation Fool and those little David years for George Carlin still hold up for me as, you know, as fluffy as they might be. Um and and but it's it's funny that like the even on the AMFM George Carlin album he's talking about how hey in the future they'll even have the divorce game or they'll have the <laughs> right. divorce court right. and they do have that show there is a divorce court yeah. show on it's not right. I mean in his scenario this is like early seventies he's talking about more of a game show right but now they actually when sort of court TV shows came I mean that's part of the problem too is like you look at a movie like Network right which yeah. was a, yeah. a wild satire for sure and then it's you don't see the satire anymore because that's what television is mm-hmm. and reality television and it just seems so wild at the time if uh, people ever saw it and uh, you know, but now it's uh, just become reality. But they do see it in little three-minute clips on Facebook. I see almost weekly someone post that clip of him freaking out at the end. You oh, know, really? that one classic scene. Someone's on Facebook, wow, have you seen this? Oh, it's great. like, I guess there is generations of people that haven't seen that one, uh, you know, important scene where he freaks out. Yeah, the one where he gets shot at the end? No, no, no. When he's in the studio and he's having the meltdown. And That's he... in, like, the first, like, 15, 20 minutes of it. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's it. But I mean, I. But it's like now you watch Network and you're like, holy shit, this has come true. But that's only because I sort of have that perspective of when, like, from the early '80s, where it wasn't even all that true and it hadn't gotten so over the top with, you know, uh, television mocking, right. you know, or, or the the blur between entertainment and news wasn't so there. Right. But that's what you can't experience when you look at it again. Is that impact that it had at the time. Because now it's it's uh, just a it's a very good movie, but you don't catch the wild satire anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
Now, for you, you know, a lot of your writing started 20 years ago, and you're still writing, so it's a different game now than what it was 20 or 25 years ago. And for writing for television, American versus Canadian, I mean, right, that alone is different. But just in time-wise, it's accelerated. Comedy has become a lot more bluer in what you can get away with and, and shocking. And what's that like for you versus, like, when you started with, like, a Roseanne or Grace Under Fire? Yeah, I mean, things are much, move much faster now. They're, they're, you can go further. You know, when I first started writing on Roseanne, you, 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 you know, you could barely say anything. Mm-hmm. And now, even on network television, you can, uh, especially you watch uh, uh, Two and a Half Men, you know, there's all sorts of jokes that we could have never done on Roseanne. Well, that whole show's innuendo, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every, all... everything either has, like, a drinking reference or a, uh, it's, every line is a put-down to another character on right, the show. Right, exactly. Yeah. But do you think a but, show like Roseanne, because they say All in the Family could never happen today, right. right? Like they were thinking about trying to have a special about five years ago and the script was just not able to be done. So they kind of put it to bed or supposedly mm. that was the rumor. And almost the same thing with Roseanne. Would a show like that be impossible today because of what it's competing against in terms of shock value? Is it as shocking to have that? Or maybe she started it all. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you, there's probably a variation of it that would work today. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been all sorts of shows that are similar to Roseanne, uh, you know, which was, you know, so uh, I, I think you could, you probably couldn't do Roseanne today, but you could probably do a very Roseanne-ish show. Right. I think I think a lot of Roseanne, I don't think people want to give the amount of credit to Roseanne that she actually deserved, because, I mean, there was a show, um, and they, they tried to make a really big deal out of it. I know, like, Lenny Clark, a huge comic out of Boston in the mm-hmm. mid-80s, mid yeah, yeah. he had a sitcom, and it was called Lenny, and it was all, and it was almost like, uh, I think it was out before Roseanne, but it, he was a garbage man in it, and yeah. it was a very working-class sort sure. of show. And I remember seeing, like, previews for it on Entertainment Tonight, and you see Lenny Clark lean back, him go sort of going like, hey, you know why I think that people are ready for a show like this? You know, speaking yeah. to the working-class sort of people. And it lasted for maybe about a season or so, and then Roseanne came along, and then I think people sort of related a lot to her, maybe not so much to the situation. And I think... Uh, well, I think Roseanne had all the elements. You know, you'd, you'd, for something to become a classic, uh, it has to be well-written, and you need a great supporting cast. Mm-hmm. You, you, I'm, you can't think of one show that you think of today as a classic show, like even everything from Dick Van Dyke to Everybody Loves Raymond, where the entire cast wasn't superb and everybody was funny, and uh, that yeah, one I of the think things... very much so. You're very much right about that. Like Lucille Ball would be a good example. The first show yeah, versus Mary one Tyler last. Moore, and, yep. you know, all these shows and Roseanne. And one thing about Roseanne is she didn't mind how funny anybody else was on her show. Exactly. She just didn't want to be insulted without having a comeback. That was her only thing. Okay. Which is reasonable. That's fair. But yeah. but she would allow. Uh, Everybody to be as funny as they possibly. She loved it when, like Laurie Metcalf, she thought Laurie Metcalf and John Goodman they were very funny, and she loved it when they were funny and never minded how funny they could get. But you watch a lot of other sitcoms like Grace Under Fire, right? Where she didn't want anybody else to be funny, right? And she wasn't that funny. No. But that's the same sort of uh, thing with John Stewart too. I think John Stewart's very pretty. Yes. Uh, you know, he's very at ease letting other right. supporting cast be funnier than him. Because, like I said, at the end of the day, it's The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. It's not like, hey. Well, it's interesting. I've never heard that about Roseanne, though. That little part about the fact that she wanted everyone else to be as funny as her, which is a huge factor in longevity, for sure. Because everyone who watches that show may not like Roseanne 
this character as their favorite, right? Like Seinfeld. Some people liked, you know, uh, Jerry the most. Some people like Kramer the most. They exactly. didn't dislike I mean, those Seinfeld characters. Seinfeld is another perfect example. Yeah. You look at that cast, and everybody was in, uh, was incredible. Really funny people, and they were all allowed to be funny. Yeah. Now, which it must be easier to write for because the, the universe is much bigger when you have five characters that you can write about and allow to make them funnier. There's a number of other shows where the uh, supporting cast, not only they're not really allowed to be funny, but if you write something funny for them, by the end of the week, the star will be doing right, that line. Right, right, right. Uh, That's got to be hard. You know, they just don't understand, and a lot of these people were comics, but they just don't understand that it's not about you anymore being funny on stage. It's about the show right. being funny. So that's one thing. Now, I just want to talk about this quickly because there was an article in New York Magazine where Roseanne came out, and it's a pretty lengthy article, and she just generally talks about her experience with the startup of the show and being a woman and having to fight for everything and, and also being let down by other women in the business who didn't really kind of stand with her. And, you know, we were talking before the show started, and, you know, has things changed in the last 20 years? And you said the great line about, you know, has it changed in the last 2,000 years, really? And do you think it has changed much? Well, I mean, I guess uh, if you think about the show Mad Men, right. that, uh, one of my favorite shows, and it took place like 50, 60 years ago, and yet it, it's like a different universe right. in terms of the relationship between men and women. So I guess things have changed in that respect. But the way women, uh, what you told me Roseanne said was women don't support women. Yes. I think, you know, there's whatever the dynamic is among women probably has not change necessarily because a lot of it has to do with just the nature of the sexes perhaps i don't know well dave thinks that too because we talked about that remember you were saying what do i about, think i don't think that what are we talking about yeah, sorry yeah. i drifted but away we, well, early this afternoon we talked about that and you brought up that point about women are not will step over a woman in, in show business more quickly than a man will step over and i personally disagree i think in business because my background is business people will step over anyone man or woman Darren? to get ahead. Well, yes. I mean the thing is I've never been a woman working with women. Right. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a woman working right. with women. I do know and you know people are sensitive about these kind of topics, but sure. from what women have told me that they often have difficulty when they're working with other women in terms of there's a competitive thing going on. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, guys uh, can work a bit differently together. I'm not trying to be sexist. I, I still want to get laid, you know. But, right. uh, you know, <laughs> not from this observing, show. I'm just observing things. Right. But I, w I would think it just it goes all the way back to, like, a schoolyard where, like, girls might fight over, like, oh, the whoever the good-looking boy in school is and uh, who they're going to have as their boyfriend because I think they're brought up with thinking that, oh, I have to have a boyfriend. And then when it comes to... Uh, and then when they get into the business world, then the 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 boyfriend is at the top, and it's not it's more seen as a as a business climb. But it's it there's still that sort of business relationship. Probably, probably almost all of this eventually just goes back to the most basic animal aspect of of what it is to be a, a creature. Yeah, you know, to be a to a human animal. So so much of our things are dictated, I think, by you know just our basic biological makeup and mm -hmm. and stuff that we don't. It gets buried within the culture and 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 the you know what we are today, but you know as animals we haven't changed. I just I I just I've heard complaints from other female comics that that, that rarely do other female comics go up to go to bat for uh, another female really? comic, and they're and they're more likely to like you know pick from a group of guys when it comes to finding a team of writers. I I know some examples of, of right. that happening. 
But uh, I, I mean, just... even even a month ago, they put out that big article about how many women writers there are in all the top talk shows, right? Like Jimmy Fallon versus John oh. Stewart versus, and the grid was pretty shocking yeah. on how few there are. What uh, what was now the differences between like uh, Grace Under Fire and Roseanne? I mean, I I have to admit that you know I don't think those shows were ever made for me. And I have to admit that I never watched them. I mean, I guess I admired what they did as far as, you know. I watched Roseanne, in, but I did not watch Grace Under Fire very Right. Much. Yeah, no, I feel the same way as you. I never watched Roseanne until I got a job on the show. Right. They, uh, they sent me a bunch of episodes. And I had to catch up. I thought it was a really well-written show. But, I mean, I was more, uh, I'm more attracted to things like Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's right. more my style. But I got a job on Roseanne, and that led to a bunch of other jobs i was very fortunate mm -hmm. but on shows similar it's like you get on a certain escalator and right. it's very hard to convince somebody that that you can be something else or do something else so uh, yeah like once you're stuck in like the tween market like uh brent piaskowski right i'm not saying he's stuck there but a, a, a comic from uh from a long time ago now is pretty much a writer He's not stuck in the tween market, but once you're successful in something, it's easier to get a job in that Absolutely. category than, oh, now I'm going to go write for Curb when I used to write for 12-year-olds. So apparently my voice is uh, strong Southern women. <laughs> I wrote also on Reba, Reba McIntyre's show. <clears throat> and what was that like? That was really good. I mean, she was the nicest star that mm -hmm. I've ever worked with. She was just phenomenal. So Really, so, and like it goes from the top down. When you have the star of a show who is like, doesn't like any nonsense, doesn't act out ever, doesn't right. believe in it. Nobody else can. And uh, she really appreciated doing the show. She thought it was, she was fortunate to be mm -hmm. doing something she loved, and she was, uh, she was wonderful. Now, it was a great experience. At all through these times, because not a lot of people know you do stand-up, right? Most people in, in right. our even even comics, know you as a writer, didn't know you did very much stand-up. Now, all through these times, were you still doing stand-up, or that was the start, then you kind of concentrated on writing, and now you're back to doing stand-up? I, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I started uh, at Yuck Yucks here in Toronto. Right. With, uh, Mark Bresson uh, was very uh, responsible for helping me launch my career. And uh, a couple years later, I moved to Los Angeles. So, you know, I got a Letterman, The Tonight Show. And uh, that was my career. That was my desire, was to be a, comedic, uh, a comedian. Okay. But then I got this job on Roseanne, and uh, it kind of my writing career took off. Right. So I just pursued that for a decade, and I, I didn't really do any almost any stand up for about twelve years because um, I just fell out of it, and um, and uh, and I was so busy on Roseanne that we were working seventy hours a week. Yeah. I mean, till two in the morning. Yeah, people four have in the no morning, idea. I know. And uh, on sun, uh, on you know, like we'd get Sunday off. You know, Christmas week, we'd have two days off. And, uh, you know, your life is not your own. And I was just exhausted. I used to work 45 minutes a night. Now I'm working 14 <laughs> hours a day. Yeah. And I was, it was uh, all-consuming. And then, uh, but in the last few years, Norm MacDonald, who's a good friend of mine from the original Yuck Yucks days, yeah. uh, he started getting back into stand-up, and we were both talking about it, that we missed it. And he asked me if I uh, would open for him, and I started working on a, a whole new act. Right. So, and now I just, and it became, uh, w which was my current interest. One of the reasons I wanted to do it is I wanted to do a, a book on religion and maybe develop a one-man show. So eventually that became my entire act. That's what I do now. I'm the 
the holy atheist is my uh, right, and so and you have a, and that now has extended itself to a podcast, which is called yes. the Holy Atheist. Yes, coincidentally. Okay, and well, it's so not a coincidence. In in just a basic definition, because you know there's so many podcasts and everyone has to you know right. put themselves in a category to, so people understand. Categorize what the Holy Atheist is about. Well, it's a basically it's a, a humorous uh, examination of beliefs, mm-hmm. especially religious beliefs. And obviously, coming at it from a non-believer point of view, but I'm not out to to mock anything or be snide. I, I'm very sincerely interested in this topic, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of stuff I really care about, you know, like uh, stem cell research and circumcision. Right. I mean, people like circumcision. And now, in my act, you know, I do try to be. My accent is on humor. Right. But I do care about this stuff. I sure. think, uh, you know, the like we talk about, uh, like why. This covenant that we made with God involves the penis. Do, do we think that's a coincidence? <laughs> right. You know, like, because there's this whole thing with sex and religion. Yeah, yeah. And then, because uh, it could have been our tonsils. Right, yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. And we go, tonsils, what does that have to do with religion? It's not like the penis. Right. But uh, it's uh, people don't even know the purpose of circumcision was to lessen sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. And now, if you were born anywhere in the 1950s and 60s, Eighty, ninety percent of the boys were circumcised. Well, it's a more, more of a North American thing, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, yeah. It used to be in Europe, and they stopped doing it. Right. And but we and still do it here. And now you have to here. pay for it if you want it done. In Canada, now you have really? To pay for it in Canada. Yeah. Oh, that's well. That's that's how they stopped it in Britain. Uh, is they stopped uh, supporting it with their insurance yes. in the forties or something, and then they just stopped doing it. Like I have three children. One is circumcised only oh, really? because. There was a problem. He was born with, that way. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Uh, but one, he, one, he had a problem with his penis, and so they, to correct it, they had to circumcise. Really? It. So, but my other two are not. No. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's it's hard for me because I am not an atheist. I'm more of an agnostic. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I have three children that are in Catholic school because wow. my wife is Catholic and prefers it that way, and it is a bit of a stumbling block for me. Did you? Did you ever? Did we? Have you always been uh, an atheist? Or no, did you, you no, brought no. up. Uh, I was brought believing? up. Uh, uh, I'm Jewish by personality. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I did. I wasn't into the the formal. I was never into formalized religion, and I was kind of forced to, to go to Hebrew school. Did you have a breaking point? Uh, I did actually, but it's kind of a long story. I was actually uh, 21. Uh, I was at this Rolling Stones concert in Nice, and there was uh, we were Dave attacked is already by, hard right now. Keep going by bodyguard. These motorcycle gang bodyguards are trying to get the audience back, and uh, people were clubbed, and there was 30, 40 people put in the hospital, and um, it was just that experience of seeing violence and like almost, you were you saw it uh, close up close. I almost hurt? was. I was. Uh, you were almost clubbed. By I was angel? almost clubbed. Oh the, the girl I was with, who I barely knew, we were both running. It was one of those wild things. I mean, it's not a. We were just all waiting for the concert to start. We were like sitting so tightly that our you know sitting on the ground with my somebody was against my knees, my back was against somebody Jeez. else's knees. It was all especially toward the audience, so tightly packed. Because everybody had kept going forward, it was, the concert had been going on for a couple of hours until the Stones were going to come on. Right. So by the, and we worked our way to the front, and then suddenly, like an explosion of people, people started running back, and uh, you couldn't see what they were running from until more of them. Until you finally, the like an explosion of people. Suddenly, the whole area was clearing within seconds, and 
and you didn't start running until you saw what they were running from. And then suddenly you saw like there was nobody else but these guys coming with clubs at you. And just all these – the people just sort of stood up almost all at once where I was lifted up by the people. Mm-hmm. Then you're running and there's people on the ground and there's blood and uh, and my the girl I was with stumbled – and I uh, I lay down on top of her because the guy was about to club her. And I just looked at him and I just said, uh, please, in French, because we were in France. Right. Maybe right. he didn't speak French. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. That would have been a tough one if he had yeah. been an Italian uh, motorcycle guy. I have no idea. But he, our eyes met and he just went on and clubbed somebody else. But uh, that shocked me. Right. And uh, it changed the way I, I looked at the world. And uh, it's interesting. We all know violence takes place all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, there's something that that when you experience it or even witness it, it uh, you can't think about things the same way. You, it, you know, And that kind of started a whole questioning until eventually I came out the other side kind of uh, into more spirituality and Zen and different things. And, and, a, and a really big Beatles fan. I was like, <laughs> he's like, hey, fuck you know, the Stones, man. I could not listen fuck to the Stones, Stones for years after yeah. that. But I, can, also, I can now. But atheism is now the new kind of cool, really. I mean, look, you've got Richard Dawkins. Yeah. You have all these other people that are, are almost like rock and roll televangelists projected to be on TV shows. They have their, their books, you know. And 10 years ago, there may not have been a possibility of having a podcast called The Holy Atheist. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a wave, uh, and I can feel it with the audiences, that they laugh at more stuff now, that I, some stuff that didn't work before, now mm-hmm. it's working. And I, I think it's because they're just more re- receptive to it. But um, And so how many episodes have you done so far? Three. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I did, okay. I just... Uh, I, I, I just went to India, actually. I just got back a couple of weeks ago. I... I Sometimes go there and meditate, but uh, so I kind of had to whip up a few podcasts to get mm-hmm. the name because yep. I didn't want to lose the name, yep. the Holy Atheist. And uh, but now that I'm back, I'm gonna my next podcast is going to be about circumcision. Oh, cool. Okay. So, so if people if people want to get this, where do they go? iTunes. They can and go to Holy... iTunes or they can go to my website, theholyatheist.com, or just look up the Holy Atheist on iTunes and Twitter. And, and they can and Twitter. Uh, what's it called? The Holy Atheist. Norm Norm McDonald. Gave me a, a shout out to his followers the other day. Yep, yep. And I went from 300 followers to five, uh, well, now I have 5,000. Wow. But I went to 300 to 3,000 in about three and a half hours. Great. It was incredible. Like, wow. That's, all these that's the future of, of, of performance and that's the future of show business is linking through other people and telling them about it. I mean, that's the great thing about Twitter, right? One Twitter from Russell Peters and all of a sudden you've got a full account. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, and it's not like it's some big like big wigs in a, in a marketing and some high rise. No. It's sort of like when performers are, are endorsing other performers, which I think is great. Yeah. And I, I love Twitter. It's 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 made for me because it's uh, I was born to tweet. Right. Right. You right. Because you think of a funny thing and it's short and, uh, you know, Facebook, I'm still working on. That's a really shitty motto for a biker gang, though. Born to tweet. <laughs> no, you could not put it on your, your yeah. motorcycle jacket. You're not going to be clubbing anyone in France with that. Okay. Well, uh, we are out of time, but uh, next time you're in town, please uh, please come back and we'll talk more about atheism. And uh, by the time you get to six episodes, we'll be rolling on. Excellent. Thank you. Exactly. God bless. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Sometimes joy is a four-letter word. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. This is William Forsyth, and you're listening to Anything Goes with Darren Frost. 
Indiana strippers area. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost, Dave Martin, and Kathleen McGee. All right, we're back from the break, and uh, joining us in the studio, our second guest this week, uh, writer, performer, uh, Gavin Stevens. Gavin, thanks for dropping by. Thanks for having me. Now, you have a big show in Toronto on June 11th. Uh, it has a bit of a nerd slant to it. Please tell us what the show is. It's uh, it's called Nerdy Little Secret. It's me, Fraser Young, and Nels again. We're all doing our nerdy comedy. I almost like blurred out before you even said, what's your show? Nerdy Little Secret. I almost just jumped right into it. <laughs> Like you were one of those guys that like uh, you know pops up behind like a reporter when they're doing a live event and they grab the microphone and go you know Baba Booey or you know fuck the law or something like that. Exactly. Nerdy little secrets. Hey, I'm on TV. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think the uh, nerd bubble is ever going to burst or peak? It 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 feels like uh, there's you know what there's a it, Toronto hasn't gotten to that point yet, but Toronto is very much like Austin, Texas. Yeah. And Texas is like at that where it's like this is so nerdy, right? But Toronto is uh, is very close to Austin. How do you? What, no, I, no, you got to tell me what what does that mean? Austin is very nerdy. Austin in Texas is like uh, well the way they uh, call it, it's like an oasis. It's all the the weird people have moved right yeah. to Austin. It's very, like you. I, I when I was in Austin, I was getting in uh, conversations, nerdy conversations with everybody, right? Cab drivers, everyone. So Toronto's kind of like that right now. There's this whole thing going on, but. It hasn't peaked. It yeah. hasn't gotten to that point. Oh, okay. But but yeah. like of, of nerd culture, it's just sort of because I mean, like, what do you think? It's going like, to disappear. I mean, nerds are cool right now, but it's eventually it's going to like it's you know. Well, but I don't think it's ever going to get to the point of like a, a revenge of the nerd scenario where you're going to have jocks that are. Shoved. I think the crossover. I think as soon as you could get porn and make money on the internet, I think that's when computers became really cool. Yeah. And then you weren't you weren't mocked as openly for having this uh, knowledge of tech knowledge of technology. Well, it's like uh, yeah, they, uh, <laughs> the nerds are like ruled that kingdom, right? And so everyone's like, oh, we, we nerds are cool. Yeah, but I, everybody's a nerd now too. But I mean, also, I mean, I used to say in an old bit, but like, you'll never hear the words computer nerd anymore. No, but like you know, mid mid eight mid eighties code jockeys. Oh, really? Yeah, code okay. jockeys. Yeah. Um, wh- but also, nerds r- run the world when it comes to business. They have for a long time, but now only in pop culture do we talk about the Bill Gates and and these other people that were kind of nerds making a lot of money. But the three of us in this room are nerds, like for we're, sure. We're really into comedy, right? We know a lot about comedy. Like it's whatever your passion is. That's my theory. Right, that's what makes you a nerd. Sure. Yeah, so, but do they have football nerds? They, yeah. No one's ever referred to them as they've always been like they do now. Right. Like that's the oh you're a nerd. I nerd out over this. Okay, but it's, so if you are a but if you are a football fan mm-hmm. and you do play football and you know a shitload about football, are you, you necessarily a nerd though? And stuff like that. Okay, but you, you have to like be so uh, submerged in the culture right. that it's like you know it kind of takes over your life a bit. See, I think the I think uh, like uh, I know Darren seen it. I don't know mm. if you saw it the the movie uh, Big Fan yeah. with Patton Oswalt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've he seen se- it. He seemed to be like the cliche football S- nerd. nerd. Yeah, like he wasn't a guy that could. He was he was if he wanted to play football, he yeah. was play. He was picked last to be on a team. Yeah. and you know he sits in his little parking booth and he just he you know he's a cashier at the parking yeah. parkade. Uh, but he can't play. But he just knows ever a shitload about a it. Shit ton about it. Right. But I, I think it's also like a, I, I see what you're saying, but it's not only the look of a person like how he looked right. and how he was like a loner it's also it's more i think it, it's it's just become such a wider thing now that 
It's whatever your passion is. I yeah. think in the past, if it was accepted accepted by society, you wouldn't have labeled it a nerd per se. Like that big fan to me, he wasn't really accepted by society for yeah. what he loved, so therefore I would call him a nerd by the old definition. Yes. But there's now kind of like a newer definition of what you're talking about that we apply to more things than just if it's accepted by society or not. Well, Patton uh, came up with that blog. Yeah. And he was talking about how the, the death of nerd culture. And... That kind of, I think this is the same thing. It's kind of mixed where it's like uh, anyone can be a nerd because it's so easy to be a nerd now. Well, I, I, well, I, no, yeah. I, I guess it's, I was trying to say that like, I, best, I think if you're a fan of something mm-hmm. but you can't actually do it, then you're labeled a nerd of it. Okay. I guess like if you're, a, if you're a, just a pro wrestling fan, yes. but you know, you just sort of sit in your uh, well, you're easy. You're a mark if yeah. you're at. Okay. But I think aren't marks the people that still think it's real? No, it's the definitions change. They're smart marks. Oh, okay. All so right. now, like, yeah, you're a smart mark. I'm a smart you, mark. You, do you watch wrestling? No, no. You're a smart mark. Well, fuck you, yes, then. Yeah, Get out of exactly. here, Darren. Leave the room. Leave you society. faggot. Get out of here, <laughs> you pussy. Here. Pussy. Yeah. Yes, you are definitely a smart mark. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, what now? Uh, but you don't think uh, now? What do you think of this? Because I always have a big thing about the show uh, Big Bang Theory. Do you think that show's funny? That show. Now, why do you hate that show? It's just, everyone, it looks like Scooby-Doo. Like, the you ever see the t- the movie Scooby-Doo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone's so cartoony. Yeah. It's so horrible. Now, don't you almost find that show is just like a stereotype of what people think nerds are? Yes. It, you know what? It's it's missing so much. Like, if you watch Space, I don't know if you guys watch. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. That's like a good nerd show because it's more than just uh, these people who are nerds. It's the whole the, the whole concept, everything, the way mm-hmm. they film it, everything is like, that's a nerd show. Right. Yeah, to me, someone who watches Doctor Who yeah. is uh, more of a real nerd than someone who sits and watches fucking Bing Bang, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Big Bang. Well, I, I know. <laughs> Bing Bang. Bing Bang. <laughs> I know a lot of people that liked it right. and now hate it. I, I, I never liked I it. I think in the beginning, because you're excited. Here's a show that is going to be about us, Geeks, yeah. for us, yeah. and you give it six or eight episodes, and you're like, well, the first couple were all right. Hopefully it's going to get into its own thing, and then it probably becomes, this is just a marketing machine ploy. I, I it's, just, it, yeah, it's very, car- everyone's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. cartoony. It's almost like a Sears catalog stereotype of what they think nerds are. You know, when Sears tried to have their own line of grunge clothing, it was just like, right. it will just say, hey, we'll grab some flannel t-shirts and cut the sleeves off. And now it's grunge clothing. See, See, to me, uh, How I Met Your Mother is more of a nerd show yeah, right, yeah, than yeah. Uh, that show. Yeah. Because, see, those guys are just like, they just seem to be like guys that are sort of nerdy about things, but they're not wearing the T-shirts. And, and see, on Big Bang Theory, there isn't like the comic book guy. There isn't like yeah. this obese guy with a real shitty beard with yeah. like bits of food in it. And, you know, he doesn't Ooh. leave the house. And, uh, no, you got a very well-trimmed beard. Thank you. Don't come I, But there is cornflakes in the chain. Well, but they're, they're, <laughs> I didn't they're, even eat cornflakes. They're honey nut cornflakes. They're, from, they're, yeah. I haven't eaten in like years. <laughs> they're just buried in there. What I always find interesting about nerd culture is in the last five years, other than, say, a Pat Oswald or Brian Passane, yeah. there isn't these iconic stand-up comics that are nerds, but there are lots of nerd shows that are popping up everywhere. I think uh, the the idea of nerd has just like it's been done right, like uh, the like well the stand-up where it's like you hear the guy doing all the references. Yeah, it's been done. I think it's the the idea has changed. I just had a point about uh, another sitcom that's a funny show that's not really typically nerd. There's mm-hmm. like there's just a I think for me nerd is like having the audience work a bit. Right. As opposed to, like, explain every joke that's coming in. Right. It's like, just have There's them... a missing sentence that they have to make the jump on their own Let to the final punchline to understand it. it. Yeah. Right. So that, that, to me, is nerd. I mean, there's also the references and everything. Like, 
But to do like all Star Wars jokes is just kind of boring. And see, to me, I've watched some not shows that you've been on that yeah. are nerd shows, but I've been to other nerd shows. Yeah. And to me, it gets too much that it's just here's a reference to something, uh, you know, from one little corner of the nerd world. Yeah. So three people are all almost orgasming over. And how many of those can I get in a row? And, and to me, that that becomes easy too. Oh no, of course. It's just it, that's just you know it's cheerleading. Yes. It's uh so. Like the guys on my show, you guys know them. No, no, not, I would not consider them that way. No, at but all. I, I mean, like they're nerdy, but it's yeah. it, they're a different kind. I guess the, it's called indie comedy now, right? In a way, and that's nerd comedy. It's but it's also it, it incorporates all of that stuff, all the references and everything. But I mean, I find that you do have those sort of comedy, and I guess when I say comedy nerds, they're people that are. Are just are more knowledgeable than just regular comedy fans, you know, guys. I mean, I would call myself a comedy nerd when sure. I can reference. Uh, it's sort of like when when um, when someone will say, "Hey, we're, oh, that's such a great Eddie Murphy joke," and then yeah. someone will be like, "Well, actually, that's Richard Pryor's joke, and Richard Pryor was influenced by this guy." When you sort of when you can draw a you know a comedy tree, yeah, family of tree, just right. of of like where premises and jokes came from. It's also the subject matter. Like you'll have someone like Steve Schultz who does a joke about that neutrino. Mm-hmm. Plant and uh, it's just he can make it funny in a regular room, but it's about something that you know a uh, regular audience is not gonna know. Right, usually. right, yeah. Um, what if uh, now? I don't know if uh, if we want to bring this up now, but you're you're one of the only guys that I've known that's uh, has had a big issue or that I've ever read. Actually, you mm-hmm. have a big issue with the word wigger. <laughs> you no, read that on Facebook. Yes. I think I did. Well, I mean, like, serious, but, okay, but 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 it, but in, in all serious, we can we can get serious about okay. it if you want. But but I've now I I've, I have issues with this word just because I it's probably not for I'm not as passionate maybe about it as you are, but that well, doesn't it doesn't affect my life. But I'm interested in why you're against it. Well, I, I might even I'm agree against, with you. Against it, well, but. you're saying the word nigger. Of course you are. And yeah, you're saying you're just saying. And, and and the thing is, is is it's an insult to white people who act black. Right. So you're saying it's a bad thing to act black. Well, but that's but, but, but who but, created that but, term? But, I have no but idea. acting. Black. But what is acting black? <laughs> but you're almost <laughs> saying. But that's that, what I'm like, saying. But that that that's also the, the 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 other false part of that is that acting black. What is that? Yeah, exactly. Well, see, I almost have uh, an issue when you when people say, "Oh, you're acting this way. That's mm. acting black." And it's sort of like, well, no, I don't. Maybe he's just acting the where he grew up. But the in. same people that say that are the same ones that say wigger. Right, 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 right. And, I'm, just, and, you know, I'm not if, saying that. If you go back with a wigger, you go way back. It's called uh, a race trader. Yeah. So you're going way back to this point of you know, where a dude would get uh, lynched for being with a white woman. Right, so right. So you're getting to that point where you're, like, it's got a history. Right, right, But most right. people don't know that no, history. No, they but, just, you know, what their history is? Arsenio Hall show, yeah. where they'd see these white guys come on yeah. from our generation. I mean, yeah. act so-called black, wearing the outfits and, and the slang, and being branded that. I never would use that word. I think the, the word is kind of stupid, to be honest. But, you know, there is that history attached to it. I was at West. I was doing a show, and there's this guy who had a tracksuit on. And the All stories was... start really well when we're, I'm out West. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the crowd was great. Usually, yeah. Usually. No, but these things always happen out West. They Go always ahead. happen out. And the, and the comic was like, oh, look at you. You're trying to act black. And, the guy, and it was like... Hip hop isn't a black thing. It's I know not, it's not a race thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. Hip hop is for everyone. It's, well, I, I always, yeah, yeah, I always say hip hop is like an urban folk music. You know, I mean, it, it's it's but telling, it's more than that now. Well, it, it's, yeah. it's more than that now. Yeah. 
But I mean, it started that way yes. when it, it it was a music of the streets yeah. for the people of in, in the environments that they grew up in, right? White, black, it didn't matter. It didn't it's matter right. in that area. It's at about that time. being honest. Hip hop is about right. being honest. And so. also, but also in the way that sort of folk music sort of break down barriers between black and white music. Yeah, yeah. And they were singing about sort of like um, you know racial integration. And then I think hip hop was not the exact same way, but they were sort of speaking from their hearts about yeah. what was going on in the streets around them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hip hop started just like uh, like um, like blues, just like R and B. It all started mm-hmm. the same way, but it's for everyone, right? But it's what's not- your what's your feeling on the term N word then? Because to me, I can't say it. I I I. I I, I mean, Aaron Burr had it. Burr had it like an eight-minute bit about it, which I actually appreciated a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's as bad, if not worse, than actually saying the word. Yeah, N-word is uh, well, Louis C.K.'s N-word joke. It, right. It's, it's it, yeah. It, you're saying the word. Right. It's just oh, the N-word. It's society's acceptable way to say it to a party, not to try to offend anyone, because you're all admitting what the word is, but not saying it. But uh, but also when you when someone like if I was having a conversation with you, yeah. and I said N-word, yeah. Instead of saying the word nigger, then it's like it also depends on the context. Like this context, right, right, that's different. It's how you're, like I'm, I'm all for using... use any word and use anything, but it depends on the context. No, but it, but it's sort of like, but if I was having a conversation with you mm-hmm. and I said the word uh, n word instead of nigger, it yeah. was almost like I'm implying that oh oh Gavin thinks that if I say the word nigger, then he'll think I'm a racist, so I'll say the n word, and he just thinks that oh well he's understanding. But that's almost like me implying that. That you think that I'm that because I said that, and you don't think that uh, you'll think that when you know. when you're black and you grow up in a in a white society, right? You learn to read between the lines, yeah. So right. you don't get mad yeah. at people, and you right. also know whoever yeah. who you're talking to, right? You 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 go okay, let me take like you know when you're talking to like. A, when I was younger doing stand-up, going up to a redneck room, I'd, there'd be a lot of like, whoa, okay. Yeah. And yeah. now you go, yeah. all right, I know what you're saying. Right. You just, you're just not comfortable. I used to work with a comic who, like, I went out west again, <laughs> and I'm on tour with Why him. Why do you go, dude? I have no, and Why do you give the second I chance to I know. I know. This is the first chance. This is the first time. And he couldn't stop talking about uh, black, me being right. black. Right. But I knew he was uncomfortable. Right. I knew he's never, he, and so he just had to get it out. He just, and it's just like, all right, okay. But not, you can't get mad at them. You, just, you, know, you know, to me, I, I grew up in a small town, Brantford, yeah. Ontario, yeah. and uh, maybe I lived a very sheltered life, but there was, <laughs> maybe. There was, there was Jewish people <laughs> in my school. There were people that were black. Were there, I, were there N-words I in your school? I never had said any words. <laughs> were there C-words word in your school? In any of those categories yeah. until I came to Toronto and started doing stand-up comedy. Did I even hear them outside of movies or, or media, but never heard it talked not saying it never happened behind closed doors in those small towns yeah, yeah but it's very interesting how in a bigger town it's open. it's much more open and i'm not saying it didn't happen in my town i never saw it well toronto has a, a huge uh black influence oh yeah so of course you're gonna get that sorry i hear me licking my lips my throat's dry anyway <laughs> um, yeah you can you, yeah but that's so that, a... that, that's one of my issues with the word wigger it's sort of like if you ask them hey what wh- are you acting black are you acting what their idea of the person that put it on their facebook right was like i just saw a poster with two guys 
trying to act like wiggers or act something like it was and i'm like whoa what are you yeah that's just stupid yeah you're it was uh can we say the person yeah of course it was nicole arbor okay oh i'm a big fan yeah Yeah, exactly so and and that adds to the if you know of course the sexiest comedian in the world yes that adds to the whole and you're like wait a second i like (laughs) both sexy and comedian are in quotation marks (laughs) yeah but well yeah well and so they can see. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, yeah, that term to me is just it's stupid. It's it's not, it's going to be used by someone that's not smart enough to know no, why but, it's wrong. But, 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 you know, but the direct definition of that word wigger is sort of like it's not someone acting black. It's someone acting like a nigger. But here, and here's the problem, too, mm. is that you're saying white. You're not saying cracker. Right. You're not saying a derogatory term and for yeah, white. They're, they're, yeah. Interesting. They're yeah, acting like saying, a derogatory term. So if I called term. it, if I, if I said cigar, it's okay then? Well, like, it, it, none of it's okay. Cigar. <laughs> you get a check in the mail, actually. It's a cracker. It's a cracker. Yeah, Tom Mesker will shake your hand. <laughs> the, uh, but it's sort of like, but they're acting like a stereotype. They're not acting like, you know, just, but they're, it, which is, which it's a stereotype makes, that people are, are manufacturing in their head. That they right. think is black. Yes. Yeah. Which, which is it, wrong in the beginning. Which is a horrible, like, it's a bad stereotype because uh, it it boxes one culture into this one thing. Yeah, right. right. And which is one of the most dangerous things to do to Absolutely. anybody is yeah. to keep them thinking that they're only one thing so they don't become anything else. Yeah. So if you don't use your imagination in this world, you're fucked. Oh, darn it. Well, I guess I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you, on your show is Frazier and Niles. And why, is it, why are those two guys on your show? Versus, say, other people in town. Is it just this time it went that way? Or was this a bigger plan for you three to go somewhere else with it? That's what I, I mean. Uh, I'm not I saying s- you're playing favorites, but are you going to try to take totally this on the road? I was totally playing favorites. They were paying me. Right. They paid me in Werther's, a bag of Werther's. No, I just find it interesting why people pick who they have on no, this specific show, because that's was, a good show. I just I just left the chain. Of course, yeah, yeah right. And, uh, and I was like, uh, oh, what's everyone doing? And I went to talk to those guys. And right. I, you know, I've had Nylon uh, a Nerdgasm. There's a lot of comics I want to work with. So it's this is just the first show. And I just, I like Frasier. I like Nile, and I like what they do. And I like to show that, that that's in comedy in the city, too. I just so. mean, because you could easily take those that show on the road. It's not yes. like you're trying to figure well, that, out if we work well together. That's why you put this show together. Like, there's reasons why producers put certain shows together. I, I'm this not show sure if is, that's the lineup. Right. But we are going on the road. Yeah, you should. That's the goal. Yeah. You should, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, did you find that, like, I mean, like, uh, Darren, both you, Darren, and myself have all, you know, we've all worked for Yuck Yucks. I mean, Darren and I still do. But, I mean, as opposed to playing a Yuck Yucks club where people, first of all, they probably rarely have an idea who's on stage that night, and they're really just showing up to have a good time. They're just going, showing up for some cheap laughs. And you're, and with a show like this, they're probably, they're, everyone who's showing up is showing up because they either know the theme of the show or the people who are on them. And, and do you, do you, is it like you don't like having to sort of uh, address the fact that like these are the jokes that you're going to hear? The the when I when I was younger at Yuck Yucks, it used to be that, yeah. and then when I I enjoy playing Yucks clubs. Right. Not all of them. I, I hate Barry. I will never go back there. Sure. Right. Well, right. Yeah, join the club. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. But I enjoy playing Yucks clubs. As I've gotten older, I've learned to take people for who they are, and have fun with them. And and you'll be shocked. I, I was shocked at how smart audiences can be once you show them. Once you explain what you're doing. Right, right. And once you lead them where you need to lead them to. I was like, I, I actually became a better comic 
the second time I came back to you. But you never got like exhausted ha- educating the crowd to what you were no, going to do. Because it was just, I, cause I, I, it's fun to, I sometimes I'm surprised how quickly they'll get on board of like, oh, this is the kind of show that we're going to go see. I, I think it's I think it's interesting with the X is that you have to take them for who they are and take every audience for who they are. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I saw you do it a lot right. when I came. I haven't worked with you in yeah. a while, but I saw you do it where you're like, okay, this is who they are. Yeah. It's not my favorite audience, but this is who they are, and I'm going to have fun within sure. that audience. And then eventually bring them to where you want to bring them. Right. I, mean, I think I think for the show that you're doing it, it's yeah. probably smarter to do non-stand-up clubs, bringing your own crowd in. Yeah. Because it, it does, you know, get rid of the the problems right away. I hate yeah comedy clubs for that. They, that I love comedy clubs and I hate them for sure. that. Yeah. Like you said, it brings in the that same. I guess I didn't answer your question clearly, but that answer uh, that brings in that uh, I'm here to see comedy. Yeah, I'm here to see Seinfeld right. type comedy because I saw that on television, and I don't think there's anything else, to my knowledge, that's outside of that. And then when someone presents something that is outside of that, doesn't mean they're not going to get on board. Yeah, but it's a decision they have to make each time. Yeah, and that's the problem with comedy clubs. Exactly, and it's uh, so you're you're going in, and it has to be very wide. Yes, everything has to be very broad. Right. And I'm, or be willing to write off a certain percentage of the crowd yeah. and just, you know, try to make them have a little bit of fun, but stick to your core 70% that are going to enjoy it. And a guy like you could get away with your stuff because right. they kind of expect it from you. Right, because I put signs up and there's some, a little bit of marketing, but yeah. Yeah, when they look at me, they're expecting me to be closer to tricks. Right. When right. they look at me, they expect me yep. to be closer to that. And when yes. I give them something. We're talking about the comedian, not the rabbit that not... has the delicious cereal. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> I would like you to be more like tricks. Nestle. Oh, yeah. no, tricks. Yeah, sorry, the rabbit. <laughs> yeah. No, but like they, they expect a different thing. When I was in England, uh, it was very interesting how the audience were, mm-hmm. reacted to me because it was like, I'm not the rural Canadian guy. I nope. Don't, no. And I'm nope. not the black guy that they expect. So they thought I was American, but they weren't sure. Right, and they still liked it, but it was still that. Yeah, it was very interesting. So I, I, I have I put myself into a weird category. Now, do you do you uh, give uh, small towns like uh, like uh, more credit because every small town now has like a uh, comic book shop, and there are, so there are always nerds in a small town that are they're waiting all to trying leave. to get out. Yeah, that, um, yeah, but they're yeah. they're always the people that are trying yeah, to leave. I think the internet the has blown that wide yeah, open. It's anyways. just like that small town, big town. I found in the last five years, I don't know how you guys find that yeah. people know more shit. Oh about yeah, the oh, internet, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, unfortunately, we're out of time, but right. let's let's push the, the information. June 11th, where is it at? At the Comedy Bar. The door's open at 10. Okay. Show's at 10.30. 10.30. And mm-hmm. is there any website that anyone can go yes, to? Yes, uh, nerdylittlesecretcomedy.com. Okay. And we're on Twitter at nerdysecret. That's capital N, capital S. And we're on Facebook, Nerdy Little Secret. All right. And what's your podcast? You want to plug your podcast? Oh, it's yeah. Geek Nerd Dork. I do that with uh, one of the guys from Dork Shelf, uh, Jeff Brown, and that's uh, at Geek Nerd Dork, Leet Speak. That's geek with the threes and that Leet Speak. All right. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time this week. Uh, we do have some new episodes up on iTunes. If you're interested, uh, please go there. You can also find information about uh, Dave Martin at Dave Martin World, and myself at ComedyHorror.com. And Kathleen McGee uh, is on Twitter. So uh, Kathleen uh, McGee, or it's Kathleen McGee. Uh, it's Kathleen underscore McGee. McGee. And I'm at Comedy Whore, and Dave is at? Uh, Dave Martin World, uh, dot com, and the same thing on Twitter. And anything goes is on Twitter as well. Okay. So uh, okay, join yeah, us. Dave, that's, shut that's up. It. We're done. We're done. That's the show. Mind. Yeah. Thanks to uh, Victoria and Paul for putting us together. We are out of time. Uh, it's been a great time. Thanking our guests, both Steve Ray Fromstein and Gavin Stevens. Thank you. Till next week. Yeah, fuck you very much. There we go. Bye.